Hi, and welcome to How to Ruin Dinner. This is your host, Mary Trace, and I'm here today with the president of the University of North Florida. So I'm thrilled to have you, and I'm going to let him introduce himself because he will pronounce his name so much more correctly than I will. But I'm learning, so welcome, President. Thank you so much, Mary. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you today. So my name is Moaz Limayam. I am the seventh president of this great university, University of North Florida. Started here on 1st of August and loving every second of it. Yeah, it's it's really great to have you here um, because the university is so important to the community. Uh, obviously, it's important to those of us who live and work in the in the university, but to the city of Jacksonville itself. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your academic background and your personal background and sort of how you came to North Florida and to the presidency in general. Yeah. Um, so we'll try to give you the elevator pitch of okay. my background. I've been uh, very fortunate in my life to... Um, um, have lived, worked, studied in four different continents. So I'm originally from North Africa, Tunisia, born to um, um, parents who value education. My father, who's retired now, was an elementary school teacher. And uh, so since the very early age, um, I um, learned um, the value of education and the importance of education to change people's lives. So I was born, I grew up with uh, with that mantra about the importance of education as a life changer and as a, a way um, people live. It was not even an option for us. So um, uh, because my father was... Uh, um, elementary school teacher and then became um, uh, a principal of an elementary school. We traveled uh, from one village to the other uh, in Tunisia. And I remember when I was about three or four, my father was um, assigned to uh, an elementary school in a very poor village in the center of Tunisia. And um, um, we did not have electricity um, in that village. It's hard for me to um, explain to my kids that we did not have Wi-Fi or Netflix uh, <laughs> at that time. Uh, but was really interesting, what I remember very, very vividly, is that um, my father would uh, take the only oil lamp that we had um, in the family, leave us with candles, so that he can offer... Um, free tutoring to the sixth grader to prepare them for um, uh, a national exam that is truly brutal because the passing rate is about 30%. So, uh, And if they don't pass, they don't go to high school. Wow. So, yeah, so he re every school night he will take um, the oil lamp and leave us with the candles so that he can... Um, um, offer the tutoring. And, and I remember vividly asking him, Dad, why do you leave us with candles and take the uh, only oil lamp? And uh, his answer was always very consistent. Uh, um, and what he um, used to tell me is that uh, these kids needed more than we uh, we did. Uh, they needed to change their lives, the lives of their families, and um, so that also they can become great members of their uh, community. So what my father was defining uh, 
earlier on in my life is uh, the value of education, but also the what student success is all about. Um, so um, um, after that, um, went to undergraduate school, business school in Tunis, uh, um, and the first day of um, um, of my freshman year at the at college in Tunisia. Um, the dean came for orientation and uh, he said, um, I have some good news and some bad news. Which one do you want to start with? And we all said, let's start with the good news. I guess we had enough bad news, so <laughs> we really wanted to start with the good news. And, and he said, the good news is we have a scholarship for um, um, studying um, uh, graduate school um, in the U.S., full ride, everything included, including the... Um, Airplane tickets, so this is great. So, all right, what is the bad news? The bad news is we have one scholarship, and we were more than 3,200 freshmen. So I really um, wanted to um, 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 get that scholarship, worked hard, still had fun, uh, and got the scholarship, uh, came to the U.S. as a graduate student for MBA, Ph.D., University of Minnesota, um, and a... Minnesota was not cold enough for me, so uh, <laughs> after graduation, went to Quebec, Quebec oh. City, uh, at Laval University, and uh, was my first um, academic job as assistant professor. Got early tenure, became a department chair, then um, went to Hong Kong. Met my wife, went to Hong Kong. Our son was born in Hong Kong. Spent a few years in Hong Kong, then moved to Switzerland at um, uh, HEC Lausanne, and from Lausanne. Um, Switzerland, we moved back to the U.S. to Arkansas, spent a few years in Arkansas, and then last 10 years I was at uh, the University of South Florida as the dean of the Muma Ganjo business. And since 1st of August, I've been very lucky to be appointed as the president of UNF. That is, <coughs> that is an incredible journey. That, and that four continents really makes it so so broad and um and that's such an important thing i think for unf um to be this cultural um mecca for north florida and to have somebody with such a breadth of experiences is Thank you. fantastic for us um one of the, one of the things that struck me as i was looking through your work as um that you were named is this right this can't be right were you named teacher of the year in Canada is that yeah okay so show off a little bit about that that's yeah. amazing yeah it really is and and again it goes back I I was um, uh, mentored and brought up and by the best teacher I've ever seen was my father um, and uh, so um, uh, teaching for me is uh, is noble teaching for me is a passion teaching for me is a family affairs it is more importantly fun. Mm. And I remember always when I talk about teaching and my teaching philosophies, uh, teaching can and should be fun. Um, so um, I was very lucky um, uh, to, um, I was on vacation one day and uh, uh, the dean called me and he said, congratulations, you're the um, teacher of the year in Canada. It's the very prestigious 3M teaching award in Canada. And uh, that is, I, was, uh, I was really thrilled. That is fabulous. That is quite quite the, the boutonniere. I would yeah. be, I mean, would, would be wearing blazers with that on it. That th When was the last time you were in the classroom teaching? I've... 
My goodness. Um, I always, of course, now because of my different responsibilities, but uh, I usually try to every single semester to be guest lecturer and to be in touch with students because I love that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you must. Yes, uh, I really like it, enjoy it. So I 100% just, I was in the classroom guest lecturing, I think, two, three weeks ago right here at UNF. Oh, great! Because it's a it's a wonderful way to meet students Absolutely. and faculty, and Absolutely. you know get get a sense of the the level of students just from the questions Absolutely. that you get, and that's um, very important. And when you were telling your story about um, growing up in Tunisia and that cutoff rate at thirty yeah. percent, um, I I think universities have this idea um, in some some ways that. Um, there, it's our responsibility to have a really high bar for students to meet, and that weeding people in early classes, and I'm I'm thinking of these big lecture halls where people get weeded out because the material is so hard. That seems to me, just to my own way of thinking, counterproductive. Absolutely. What we want to do is keep people in the classrooms, um, learning until they reach a level that they can do higher work. And so I, I see um, students come in oftentimes. I teach a lot of the early freshman classes. And their skills are not where they're not at college level. And I'm constantly saying to the students, um, you know, writing is a skill. You don't expect to pick up a guitar and, and play, you know, Spanish uh, exactly. guitar, acoustic guitar perfectly. It, you should, it should be hard. It is hard. Um, and it's a skill you'll learn over time, but it's going to be years, right? And the grades are going to reflect the level more than the skill, or the skill more than anything else. I'm not sure how to say that exactly. Um, but I wonder what your philosophy is um, in terms of motivating people to move from where they are, as opposed to an attitude of, you're not suited to this, let's get you out of biology and into another field because you clearly can't pass. Yeah, a yeah, freshman. no, I think um, you probably remember, Mary, the times where, um, and unfortunately it's probably still going on in some other universities, is where um, um, the faculty member would be teaching hundreds in the same auditorium and ask the students to, to look right and to look left in the yes. first session and saying, the person to your right or the three of you, two will not be here next semester. I think that's absolutely nonsense. And what I'm really happy here at UNF, and one of the reasons I'm, I, um, um, I think it's a great fit for me and I'm very excited about this job, is um, the, uh, first of all, the type of um, population, students' population we attract. So, for example, we just welcome the largest freshman class in the history of UNF, 3,052 students, 34% are first-generation college students. So it means no one in their immediate family has a college degree. We are the family. We are the people they go to for 
guidance, for advice on curriculum, for insights on how to face the adversity of life and the challenges of life. And, and that by itself makes our um, job here at UNF a very noble one, a, a job truly of changing lives. Um, and and um, I think um, UNF is to be um, applauded for um, what it does with the students we get. Our mantra is to give a chance to students, even the ones that um, many other universities will say no to, and to help them succeed. I think um, a university has less um, merit, if you want, if they accept already the top students with the highest GPAs and the highest SATs. Uh, we do give a chance to um, um, students with... Um, unfavorable socioeconomic status, minority status from uh, um, not underserved neighborhoods. And, and we do everything we can to make them successful. And that is really, um, by itself, it's just a joy to see how we can change the lives of the, these students so that they can change the lives of their um, families and be great um, members of this community. Remember, that's what I've been taught when yeah. I was three years old. Yeah. It is full circle now. Well, you, you wrote on September 9th, you sent out a letter, and I printed it out because I, I and it's really the letter well, I'm that... I'm glad at least someone read it, so I, that's I read good. it, I read it, and I, I, I think it's a, a, it points to a uh, area of academics that, you know, has gotten a lot of press around wokeness and cancel culture um, and CRT and all kinds of ideas that have become political, you know, clickbait, if you will. But you write about in this in this letter that this commitment that you have and that you see UNF and and are going to make sure exists at UNF, wherein there is diversity and freedom of expression and a commitment to um, tackling. And, and I underline the words, and I can read them if you want me to, but if I misspeak, you can correct me. Um, tackling these kind of difficult um, topics and being uncomfortable, that idea of dangerous ideas, um, being what the university is supposed to do. Exactly. And so maybe you can talk a little bit about what you were thinking about so early on in our semester in your first yeah. year yeah. and you why know, that was important for uh, you to discuss. Absolutely. Um, um, you know, we live, unfortunately, in a, in a divided society where people um, are forgetting even how to have... Um, a disagreement in a very civil way, um, and um, in 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 this world of political uh, divisions and racial divisions, and um, I think it's our obligation as a university, as education um, institution and educational platform, um, to be the place where we can teach students on how to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. How can we teach them the critical thinking? How we can teach them how to think rather than what to think? How can we teach them 
also to listen, genuine listening, even when the ideas expressed to them are not what they believe in, but yet still have a civil discourse. Um, these are really important um, um, concepts for me. Uh, you might call me naive, uh, but I believe that UNF can be the safest place for faculty, students, staff to come here, exchange ideas, talk about the uncomfortable, but yet know how to do it and how to disagree in a very civil way. That's my dream for uh, for UNF, well, that's really my dream for UNF. That's a great dream. And I I mean, I teach the, in a humanities course in, in philosophy, and we do a whole, you know, most of the semester is on critical thinking. And uh, one of the important ideas that we try to get across is that discussions sh- are about ideas. Exactly. And so much has become about identity and personal belonging yeah. um, that we've lost sight of the fact that what we're exploring is not you or me, but what we're exploring is the ideas yeah. behind it. And, and once you can kind of shift your focus to a uh, an idea or a concept, you can listen more carefully. You can let go of any kind of anxiety around it. Um, but it seems, uh, for instance, when we talk about um, CRT, right, the, this this critical race theory, what is ginned up is fear and feelings yes. and uh, a, a kind of avarice that somebody's getting something that is, you know, I want to, you know. This, Absolutely. Uh, rather than thinking about what's being said, yes. we're thinking about how do I feel about what's e- being exactly. said. Exactly. And so learning that critical thinking um, curiosity. Um, and I, I spend a lot of uh, time thinking about myself in terms of am I curious enough? And am I curious about the right things, right? Uh, and by that I mean, am I curious about important things? Yes. And so I wonder if you think of yourself. I mean, one of the quotes were, of course, because we're talking about Aristotle and the Greeks. We're talking about know thyself. Yeah. And that knowing yourself is not something you ever st- stop trying to learn about. Absolutely. Like in some ways, yeah. I'm always saying. You can't know yourself. You don't know yourself until you're in the middle of an experience. And then you go, ooh, that's, that's yeah, what I think. You are so right. And, and I think um, it's almost knowing yourself is a journey, not a destination. Yeah. You're never there. Yeah, and every time, um, if you're really honest, you would surprise yourself. And the good and the bad and the ugly, oh, right? Sometimes right. you overperform according <laughs> to your own sense, and sometimes you underperform. But Absolutely. that curiosity to question yourself in a very healthy way, that curiosity to always um, try to evaluate and, and make adjustments when adjustments are, uh, are due, I think that's what will make eventually the difference between good person and a person that is just okay. And when I see a good person means a person that is actually um, 
um, good to its environment, good to its community, good to even uh, his or her friends and their families and their colleagues and where they work. So that's the hope here is that we can always instigate and facilitate that self knowledge um, and because if you really do it the right way discussing the uncomfortable with others becomes much easier right oh and yeah. and and really fascinating, fascinating right it's yeah. because those are truly important conversations Absolutely. and you get drawn into them quite quickly and without any um, I mean once you're in it the self-consciousness, tends exactly. to fall away in my experience. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I wonder if you have any practices that you do regularly to sort of reflect on, and I, I try to do this myself at night, try to think back on interactions that I had over the course of the day, and I'm not grading myself, but evaluating yeah. what did I do that I liked, what didn't I do, and I try to make a habit of that kind of self-reflection, and I wonder if you have any um, sort of practices that you... Yeah, yeah, I, I really do. Uh, so, so of course, um, exactly like you, I do my um, self-evaluation. And um, I, I always my belief, Mary, is um, I'm not competing um, with anyone. I'm competing with the person I was yesterday, so to be better. And always have that way of thinking is, you know, how can I be a better person uh, for me first, for my family and friends and for for our students, for our faculty and staff and for our communities. Always something that uh, that I, I ask myself. The other thing, the other practice that I found um, um, really um, very helpful is to surround myself with um, mentors that are that you trust that have no hidden agenda but your success and your well-being and to run things by them and to see when you could have done better and when uh, or even um, before you make these important decisions in your life and so um, these mentors are, are just I always every single um, phase of my life I had at least one or two people I fully trusted and and I can assure you Mary I would not be um, talking with you today as the president of UNFI without these great mentors. The other thing also, even at um, uh, colleagues where you have to and you see and you spend a lot of time uh, with, you have to create an environment where they very f feel comfortable disagreeing with you, feel comfortable giving you feedback. Um, I always, uh, especially when you move to a new place and as a president, everybody's like, wow, this is a great idea. This is like, oh, I know I'm not that smart. Don't agree with me very quickly. <laughs> let's, you know, let's try to find how we can, uh, you know, maybe it's okay idea, but um, let's try to shoot it down so that at least we'll make sure if we're going to go with that decision that these yeah, are the best know possible. know where the holes are. And know where the holes are and, and, and also use it as starting point but not ending point. So I think that's the combination of um, self-evaluation, having or benefiting from mentors, 
but also having a circles of colleagues that you really, you create an environment where they can be very honest with you and give you uh, feedback that will help you uh, improve and be a better person, better professional. Well, I think for students, that really would include having study groups, which course, I'm always promoting. And I, I don't see that as part of the culture at UNF, that they have this – I don't see a tendency to create a study group. And um, I think that's really good advice. I think Absolutely. to get – Together with people who are reading and writing around the same area, it would be – so your advice for for students to translate that to students would be to, to start study groups Absolutely. and get involved. And um, there's all kinds of ways. Of course, your professor can help you, but um, your, your colleagues are your classmates, and they have a lot to offer. And, and learning to trust them, I, I think, is the biggest – part of advancing. So I, I appreciate that point of view. Yeah. And I will add, uh, Mary, that um, this is what is one of the things I admire the most about our wonderful university is we have smaller class sizes. Yes, that part uh, We have very committed faculty and also advisors and staff. And um, this is one of the main reasons I'm very excited about this job is that the loyalty and the values held by our own people vis-a-vis -vis our students. So um, when I talk to students and, and I ask them, why did you select UNF? And the answer I get the most, like, wow, you know, actually um, my professors know who I am. They talk to me. I'm not just a number. Um, the advisors know me. So I think that's really important. And, and to confirm what you said, students uh, should take advantage of that more and more and, and seek help when they need help and ask the questions when they um, have questions and not just um, uh, be isolated and, and take it on upon themselves to do everything. We're, we're here for them. We're the yeah. family. Well, I think it, the pandemic probably really hurt um, that that camaraderie and developing um, deep friendships based around ideas. Um, and I, I think we have to overcome the last two years of isolation. And that's sort of incumbent on us here at the university to encourage people to come back together exactly. and to explore exactly. ideas Together, I'm, I'm going to switch the, a little bit, but, but it's along these same lines, and that is the, your commitment to diversity. Yes. And I've just been reading um, Richard Reeves and listening to Richard Reeves, who has just written about the kind of dilemma around males um, in particular, that he, he is looking at graduation rates and job rates, and um, males seem to be falling behind. In, I mean, women have just gone well beyond what anybody thought in the last two generations. Absolutely. Uh, the transformation has been incredible for women, um, and they're graduating at rates far higher than men. I think it's something like 15% yes. greater than, yes. than men. And On average, yes. Yeah, and then you get to um, minorities, and they're, they're not graduating at any in any kind of numbers. That would, you know, make us all as a culture feel confident that we're yeah. doing right by our students, and so uh, my question or my my 
worry is that we have forgotten um, this portion of the population and um, have obligations, especially to minority males. Um, And what can we do and how should we start um, to to recognize our... Yeah, and I think that's, um, um, unfortunately, it is a fact. Um, research study after studies uh, show exactly what you talk about um, when you compare female to male or, or um, some minority um, groups compared to others. Um, I think um, the solution starts with admitting that we have a problem. Yes. I, I think that's the very first thing. We do have a problem, and this problem is not unique to UNF. It's everywhere. I've been everywhere, and it's always the same problem. So I think that's really important. Um, the second thing is to um, try to um, do something about it. And, and what do you do something about it is you develop these initiatives, these programs unique for this. It's not, this is not one size fits all. Yeah. This is really, um, there are reasons why um, these different groups are not um, graduating at the same level or their retention is not similar. So understanding the roots of the problem, and they might be different from one region to the other, but more importantly, do something about it and that is targeted to these so and 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 find what's at the root of it is exactly i mean uh, one of the things i've been reading is that the prefrontal lobe doesn't develop as early so that they come into high school and even college without the 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 biological maturity maturity um, and so i'm thinking you know that red shirting is one of the ideas that i keep hearing where where males are accepted later into programs. Um, I think for our students, I know a lot of my students, are working full-time. They're coming to school and they're working full-time. But to get any of the necessary financial aid, they have to be registered full-time. So then you're asking these people who are first-generation college students to carry an economic and a time load that is really impossible to succeed. I mean, I I, I think of my own career. I had young children. I was going to school. I was teaching. I wasn't doing any of it well. You know, I just remember that feeling of going, not one of these three things am I really doing well. I mean, you just kind of plow through and you get through, but is that really successful? Is that the best way to do it? So I, I wonder yeah, what yeah. we can so, do for them. So let me tell you um, some of the best practices that I tried and they really worked um, miracles. Um, first and foremost, one of the things that really turned out to be extremely um, uh, effective Mentoring. We talked earlier about mentoring. Yeah. Teaming up um, um, each one of these uh, uh, at-risk um, students, either first generations or minority or or male, or um, and um, um, team them up with 
mentors from the community who are passionate about helping us change the lives. So that mentoring is really important, establishing framework um, for the mentoring, training the mentors, and, and uh, that, that just does miracle. Um, the second thing, and this is where um, we are working really hard um, on, is scholarships financial aids so that we reduce the need for these students to work two or three part-time yeah. jobs. So, so um, we're really working hard and um, luckily we have a, a great philanthropist in, in our community. So I am uh, very optimistic that we will increase significantly, uh, significantly over the next few years the amount of scholarships that we can give um, to our students so to at least they don't have to work. Uh, 40 hours a week right. trying to help themselves and help their company, uh, their, um, I'm sorry, families even. So that these are um, um, the things that um, 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 are important. And, and also, um, it's a team sport, right? So uh, it's not just uh, advisors or deans or department chairs, everyone. That includes faculty. Faculty play a big role in the success um, of our students. So faculty are, uh, are the ones interacting with the students on a weekly basis. So um, when they see that students is struggling with some grades with some or attendance, when they raise the flag for the advisors and the department chairs and the deans and the mental health uh, counselor, everybody chips in. And this is truly a team sport. Um, so tackling it as a team sport um, becomes much more effective and efficient. Yeah, I'm thinking of, now that you're talking, I'm thinking in my head, am I doing enough of that? I'm not sure. Yeah, um, we that, all need to do a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah. uh, an area to reflect on Absolutely. for us and Absolutely. say, how can I do that? And yeah. uh, where should I go? I, so that I, I take that as great encouragement. And Absolutely. We'll, Absolutely. We'll try to do more of that and, that would be and great. keep it in my mind a little bit. Um, I wondered if um, maybe you could talk about, and we're, and we're touching on this, um, this idea of the university in society. What is the role of the university as you see it in a, in a place like Jacksonville? Yes. Um, yeah. I think that's, ob we're obviously a great asset to um, the city. Um, I think we're right up there with the football team, obviously. It's uh, a little different, but I, I mean, the, what what is your vision of our um, connection to high schools in, Jack, in the Jacksonville area? And then beyond that, are, are we interested in attracting from out of state? Are we interested in being, you know, more than a regional University. Yeah, you have um, asked a series of many questions. Yes, I'm there. sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's really good. So let's start one by one. If I forget one, please let me know. Uh, let's talk about um, the relationship between UNF and our community here. Uh, Mary, if you look at every single vibrant city in the country, you always, always find a vibrant public university in its backyard. You think of every yeah. single city, and that's what UNF is and will be even more so in the future. So I think it is our obligation 
to do everything we can to help improve our community. How do we do this? Simple. First, um, by helping, uh, by providing the talent needed in numbers, diversity, and quality so that we can keep businesses here and attract more. That's really important. When um, when businesses, organizations for profit, non-profit, they want to move or expand in one place, their number one question is, will we have access to talent? UNF is providing it and will even provide it more in the future. I and think they mean faculty. When they talk about talent, talent they means mean graduates, more of graduates. Yeah. Yes. I was going to say faculty and students. Yes, of course. Yeah. The, the faculty are important because they will yeah. graduate the students. Yeah. For businesses, they will ask about graduates, future employees. So um, I think that's what's really important. Um, we should be a resource for the, our community. So just even beyond providing the talent, I always say our our leaders, the community, think of UNF as part of your organizations. We're here when you need us. So if you have a challenge, any type of challenge, but you don't have the bandwidth or the expertise, come to us. We will find it for you from our amazing faculty we put students with them so they all can work together to help you either face that challenge or leverage on an opportunity. So that's, um, that's very important. Uh, to upgrade the skills of their existing workforce, we're here to have them. So um, my, my dream for UNF is to be the destination of choice, the magnet for students in numbers, diversity, and, of course, achievement. Um, also for um, a magnet and destination of choice for our faculty and staff so that we can keep the best, like you, attract also the best. For employers, where they come to UNF before they go anywhere else. For philanthropists, they want, I want them to think of UNF before they go to any nonprofit because we give them the best giving experience and the best return on their investment. Uh, we want to be a magnet for our legislators so that, that we show them the best return on investment. We already are. Uh, UNF is uh, one of the most efficient universities in the country. In addition, 80% of our students stay in our state and more than 60% of our students stay in Northeast Florida and the Jacksonville region. So here you have uh, one of the um, most efficient lean machines that is giving the taxpayers the best return investment. So, yeah, that that's a great thing for our students to know. Course, course. I'm not, I'm, I'm never preaching that, obviously, but what a great um, thing for them to know that w- you have in mind, the university has in mind, their contribution to the Absolutely. society, and that um, they're in a place that can nurture um, that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we have an obligation to serve our communities, but also I think we deserve and we will attract the brightest and the most diverse, even from outside the state. Mm -hmm. And and that's people, um, when they ask me, um, you know, do you really want to be a regional or non Why does it have to be either or? Right. We need, of course, we have an obligation to serve 
our community and provide the talent and provide the access to um, our the population we serve. But also, I think it's very legitimate for us to also have that notoriety and visibility and reputation outside the state and even outside the country. Yeah. Right? Why yeah. not? Why, Why not? not? <laughs> yeah. We don't do it at the expense of our community. But so it cannot be either or because I it was it's really interesting. I was having uh, an interesting discussion um, with uh, with some of uh, my team members. Like, oh, you know, um, are we uh, regional? Are we aren't we? We uh, we want to be the best what we can be, serving our communities and serving our countries and and the world if we can. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, one of the ways that, that universities attract the best is through scholarships of course. and offering scholarships outside of the state as well as inside of the state. Of course. Um, at what, what can we do to attract more philanthropists and more scholarships from outside? Um, I, I think one of the things that makes UNF it, is a challenge to UNF and is a great part of UNF is that sports is not um, overrepresented in our identity, right? You go to some of these schools where the football is... Uh, my son went to the University of Nebraska, and I will never, as an athlete, he went, I will never forget seeing those locker rooms and seeing the wealth that was responsible, I understand, for the biology department getting what sure. they need and yeah. the English department having the equipment they need. But there's such a emphasis on a disproportional, I would say, uh, emphasis on sort of the rah-rah yeah. aspects sure. of college. Um, and so I guess the question, if there's a question, rather than just making statements, um, that how is this to our advantage to have this kind of balanced, um, what I'm calling a balanced culture, wherein sports are, we have a fabulous wellness center, but, you know, our biology department rivals, you know, the the, the sports department. Um, how do we make that part of the the you know the glowing aspect of UNF. How do we make? Stu- how do we attract students? Yeah, to that so, aspect. So, of it? so um, uh, you're uh, spot on when you said scholarships are really important. Philanthropy are really important. And that's why, as president, I'm working really hard on um, um, building relationships. You know, um, uh, I've been very um, lucky to um, um, be able. to with with my colleagues and my prior institutions to um, raise significant uh, resources for our students, our faculty, and our staff, and um, um, as a consequence, I've been um, asked in many instances to give um, workshops and lectures on fundraising, and I, I always narrow it down to one single concept: genuine relationships. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been doing for since I got here is really trying to meet um, donors, philanthropists, supporters, alums, and and um, show them the excitement, show them the energy, show them uh, why 
um, we will give them the best return on investment on their philanthropy. Develop that compelling, and now we're in the process of um, uh, rethinking our strategic plan, our strategic priorities, and our ambitions, our distinctiveness. And and my hope is that we can come up with a very compelling vision that get our donors and philanthropists very, very um, excited. Uh, and also... Um, put in place um, the best giving experience for them, but also the best stewardship to, our, to their philanthropy. So I'm, I'm very optimistic that uh, hopefully we will see and we started seeing an uptick in um, our fundraising um, effort. Um, and I think, yes, um, we will probably not in the near future compete with universities, at least in terms of um, sports reputations. You know, they're well established more than centuries, many of them um, in sports and football is a major is a major one. Um, but but I think um, we have enough um points of pride and distinctions that we can, at the end of the day, students go to university to learn, have a good education, and be ready for a career. Yeah. And that's where I think we're I think that's what accept. we have to offer, right? Exactly. This, this, this emphasizing what we are. I mean, what is the athlete population? It's not very high in any university. And so when you come to a place like UNF, you know that you will be given right the attention Absolutely. that you deserve. It won't be out of proportion to the work that you're, you know, putting out. Absolutely. You don't have to compete with the stars, yeah, you know, yeah, the absolutely. athletic stars, which, which I do think has thrown universities out of whack a little bit um, yeah. in, the, in our perception of what college is about. Yeah. I mean, there's still a psychological and nostalgic level, right? We get it. Here we have this fabulous opportunity for you to shine in whatever field, yeah. right, that yeah. it's here, that it's going to happen. It's um, to see some universities and the amount of funds spent on, and I'm not criticizing them. No, they have because their they, own, bring they bring in enormous yeah, exactly. amounts of money exactly. that benefit everybody. Exactly, but it's really on the other hand, yeah. what we have to offer is a is some is a place where you can come and learn and shine and and be a part of a, a you know a community that is going to be interested in what you're doing. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. we're not just interested in... And and we can be the best in, in that yeah. specific niche of doing yeah. things. Yeah, I mean, I, I think of everything from the gardens to the art department to the biology department, and all universities, of course, have these things, but we do it really well here. We do it really well, and we do it in a, in a very personal way. As we mentioned, we have one of the smallest class sizes uh, in the state and in the country among all public um, institutions. Um, we do it um, with um, with the top priority as a student success. We want students to get a great education and we prepare them for great careers or for graduate school. So that's our emphasis and that's what yeah. we're good at. Yeah. Well, um, I'm I'm going to switch the subject to kind of to our last. We've been at, at this a little while, but I this morning I was sitting talking to my sister-in-law, and we were talking 
uh, about an area that I know is part of your academic background and your your writings uh, about the online consumer. Yes. So I am changing the subject dramatically, but sure. my God, the, uh, the way we buy has changed so dramatically, and we have become the the retail industry is in my house absolutely right? it's in my phone available 24 hours and, a day and <laughs> i am so outmatched yeah. you know I, I it's on instagram it's on you know any website i go on to there's there's advertising so will you talk a little bit about your work in this field and what you're thinking and how do you stop yourself from buying yeah, all the stuff yeah, that's so yeah. appealing. <laughs> it's really interesting, uh, Mary, that how, if you think about it, and you know, I have the hardest time um, also convincing my kids that I'm actually older than Google. <laughs> that, that, that uh, you know, not long time ago, we did not have, you have to go somewhere to buy anything or look at the catalog and You're call right. and they will ship it to you. Uh, but look what happened uh, just the last um, um, really decade or so with Amazon and, and everybody else is uh, is going. So it the, the, the consumer behavior and habits and attitude have completely changed. And let me tell you, one of the things that even accelerated that was, was the pandemic. Sure. So that also... Oh, we um, all got yeah, used to having even our groceries um, delivered. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, um, I, I think um, um, I find it um, really a fascinating um, uh, topic to uh, to study and, and even what, uh, what makes... Um, uh, consumers buy certain things versus the others, and what we're finding are uh, the the reviews are now playing the number one factors in 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 these decisions. Uh, people actually look at the reviews, and when they buy, um, I think also um, there is this whole. Uh, impulsive buying that right. is much easier, um, unfortunately, oh. online than it is because, you know, uh, you need to um, put on your clothes and drive your car and go somewhere else to be an impulsive buyer. Now you don't have to. All you have to do is your smartphone and, and then that kicks in. And so I um, I worked a lot on um, on habit habits of doing things and even um, um, looked at um, the habit of uh, texting while driving and, oh. uh, yeah and that is uh, <laughs> so also yeah that is um, That's so uh, frightening. yeah yeah really frightening and unfortunately my whole effort um, to do research in that area was uh, instigated by a loss of friend um, because he was um, texting and driving so I really wanted to understand um, um, why people do it and and what would be the best ways to um, counterpart and and yeah. what I found is um, um, it's it's really an addiction we become addicted to our uh, smartphones and and unfortunately the way many states and countries and cities deal with it is they put these uh, hefty fines on people who um, text and drive but my research showed that actually that makes things worse oh it does uh, yeah it really makes why things is that because it's very simple when uh, when you are um 
texting and driving and you see police somewhere, you try to um, hide and oh uh, do it gosh. and things. And, and what we found is the best possible way is awareness and education mm-hmm. are much, much more effective and much more efficient in these things. So so, so I, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, the, the drunk driving um, education was so effective. Absolutely. So so Absolutely. it's comparable to that then. What, yes, very what, true. Very, is that very, what yeah. that Because at the end be? of the day, it's an addiction, right? Yeah. It's an addiction. Yeah. I remember what I did in my prior institution um, is um, I brought a real car. It's brutal. It was brutal. A real car that um, suffered a major crash because of oh, texting and yeah. put it right there in front of the building. Yeah. It had the biggest impact yeah. on people who had understood and really, yeah, that's what uh, that's what you really need to do to um, to break the addictions. But but um, the more, you know, of course, we have to have laws and, and fines, but that does not solve the problem as much as awareness, awareness and, and education. Um, on that same vein, I mean, educating the consumer, I for myself, I. And feel at such a disadvantage because these ad people, they know what's oh, going to get, they know oh. what music to put on. They know what, you know, is going to attract me, how many seconds uh, they have my attention. I feel like I need an education on my habits for sure, but also on what is actually happening as we are being, t- we are being targeted. Oh, there is no doubt. And there is no doubt. How to doubt. combat that? Yeah, to combat that is is again. I always ask people um, the uh, the um, um, the difference between the needs and the wants. Uh, that is the biggest thing. I always. Oh, you're try such and, a scold. Yeah. Oh, you're such a scold. <laughs> but it's really the truth. That's why I tell my kids every time they want something sick. I want you to really go to your room, think about it. Do you absolutely need that or you just want it? Yeah, there's the habit, yes, right, that's the of, habit. of reflection to get back to our yeah, earlier Exactly, so question. you want to break so that habit. So do you give yourself, how long does it take, right, to, yeah. to not impulse by, like, do I need five minutes Yeah. to wait five minutes? That's not very long. Do I need... An hour? Like, what it's would you very recommend? Different. It's really different from one person to the other. You know, it's... Um, 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 I I had um, some friends who really were impulsive buyers. I, um, um, I literally used to take their um, credit cards away and their, their cash away when they go. That's how the extreme. Yeah. But I think for most people... Um, sitting and, and having that really um, honest discussion with themselves, do I really need this mm. or do I Just want Just that it? simple question. That simple question. Yeah. I don't have to go look at my banking app and see no, 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 how much that, did I spend no. on. Yeah, that, you know, and, and um, um, online stores and, and physical stores are getting really um, very uh, smart Oh. to make you spend more. So oh, if you go incredible. to a physical store, I don't know if you've noticed, Mary, that um, all of them are the same. Do you know why they put the most expensive items at the entry of the store? Why? Because I'm not going further in? No. Mm-mm. 
No, I don't. Most people go with a cart. Yeah. Right? So when you put them, you put them at the bottom of the cart, and then they will be buried with other things. The guilt factor will... Gets uh, buried, literally. Exactly. Exactly. Get buried, and the guilt factors... No, I would never have come up with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean by being outmatched. Somebody has thought of that. Oh, absolutely. I'm... Let me give you other examples. Now, there is something that we call big data oh, analytics, yes. Yes. predictive modeling. So they know exactly using the data what they understand the, um, the, the consumer behavior. We'll give you another example. When um, experts look at um, consumer behaviors, they found, for example, that the sales of diapers are very highly correlated with the sales of beers, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense. If you look at this for, with a naked eye, right, it doesn't make any sense. Right. But then that's the data shows a very strong correlation. Then you start thinking about it. It's like, wow, that makes perfect sense. Why it makes perfect sense? Because what usually happens is the spouse is coming back from work, Picks up asked, diapers. Yeah, asked, asked to pick up diapers. And what a great excuse to um, uh, uh, to buy uh, a six-pack. But the story does not end here. If you are a store manager, knowing what you know from the data, what do you do? I guess I put the beer display next, right next, next to the diapers. Yes, exactly. So you see, everything is well thought out to make you consume in a very uh, subconscious way. I mean, this is to to end where we started, knowing yourself, knowing your propensities. And and it seems to me we aren't um, good enough at saying what really makes me happy. Exactly. What really leads to flourishing because that instant gratification is such a high, right? You it get really such a high. Is. A short term, and it's short term. That's the trick. Yeah. But it, you know, it's there for the taking. Yes. And without reflecting on what do I know about how I'm going to feel it's, a day from now. It's really interesting you said that because the number one advice I give to my students and my mentees and and the leaders I work with. Um, is take the time, and, and I usually ask for time the evening we have this discussion. It's like, I want you to go home, go to a room where nobody, no interruptions, and I really want you to think and ask yourself, what makes you really happy? It's not what makes your spouse happy, your kids, your neighbors, your sibling, your parents, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or doesn't really matter who, what makes you happy. What is your purpose in life? And it's really um, almost unfortunate that a lot of people never take the time to go through that soul searching that will help them. And and again, where we started this discussion, to know themselves much better and to really always try to go for what makes them happy. have a more fulfilling life. Yeah, that flourishing. I mean, yes. happiness is fleeting, and I, I, I don't even like to use that word all the time of, you know, what makes you happy, but what allows you to flourish? Flourish. What, when, well, yes. I'm going to move from flourishing to ask you of a time when you ruined dinner 
As we close out this conversation, <laughs> you have to you have to you, uh, you have to ask my kids, and uh, they will tell you <laughs> that's my area of expertise. Uh, <laughs> it's ruining dinner. <laughs> yeah, no, but in all seriousness, I think the last time, and and it's interesting because um, it it has something to do with UNF. So when I was in my prior institution, University of South Florida, and um, um, was approached by the headhunters and and um, um, I wanted to um, did research and soul searching, as we said, and I really wanted to um, pursue it very seriously. Um, uh, uh, we were at dinner, and um, we have a daughter that um, um, last year was a freshman in high school. So when I um, mentioned these opportunities to her, She's she's very smart, like her mother. Uh, she very quickly did the mask. Okay, does that mean that we might be moving? I said, yes. <laughs> does that mean that I have to leave my friends? I said, that's a possibility. And, and that really uh, ruined <laughs> and few other subsequent dinners. Yes, I'm sure that wasn't the only but dinner. But the good news, she's here. She's very happy. She's making good friends, and there was short-lived stress for her. Well, that's a kind of sad time in uh, for her from her perspective. Yes, but uh, yeah, you all got through it, and you're eating through. dinner still together. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Well, and she's amazing. That's great. So well, thank you so much for talking with us about all these different areas. And I'm so, so very pleased to get to meet you, and I hope to support you in any way I can. So thank you very, very much. Thank you so much, Mary, for having me. You make it um, so easy. I really enjoyed this uh, uh, discussion. And um, anything I can do to help you or all our uh, colleagues, faculty, We'll make your daughter listen. How about that? We'll make your daughter listen. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. Goodbye.